travel. They must have expected us. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Oh, this, oh, I'm just so sort of full of vitality and energy from all those hills we've climbed already. Thank you so much for inviting me. I do feel the same thing. Look at this. Amazing, gorgeous, hallelujah. <laughs> it's a bit tiring. I do have to go much further. <laughs> I picked the right one here, haven't I? Oh, wonderful. Oh, do you think we need a little rest in a moment? What do you think? A sleep would be good. <laughs> Let's have a, just a tiny little rest because there's so many things we can look around. Oh, okay, good. Okay, we'll just go a little bit further. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I do like it when it rains. It just brings out the Macintosh in me. Helps the weeds too. Yes, rain is good. Yeah, it gives life to everything. I feel so refreshed. Yeah. Oh, oh, we're nearing the end of our journey already. Oh, I'm, I don't know. What do you think about that, John? Hooray! <laughs> Amazing. Let's do that again next time. Yeah, it's great. Let's thank the volunteers for volunteering. Paul of Tarsus went on a long, arduous, dangerous, but exciting journey. He didn't want to go alone. Who did he take with him? Yeah, Barnabas? Are we all agreeing with Barnabas? Yeah, I mean, we have two marvellous fellows there, didn't we? Sort of, uh, that was excellent. But, so we're saying Barnabas. Everyone agree? It wasn't Barnabas. Pardon? Is that what you're thinking inside? You're thinking, well, today, John said already that we're thinking about Barnabas. But now he's saying it wasn't Barnabas who went with him. It's this chappy called Joseph from Cyprus. Let's have a quick look at Acts 4. They weren't warned, by the way, John and St. John. They just, weren't they just naturals acting and things? It's brilliant. Yeah, naturals, marvellous. So here's Acts 4, verse uh, 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, remember, that's who I'm saying is who went with Paul, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the, at the apostles' feet. Ah, so really Barnabas wasn't his real name. It was a nickname. Hmm. Barnabas means, this is different versions that I've been reading this week, son of consolation, son of exhortation, son of encouragement, son of comfort, son of help. That sounds like the sort of person you'd like to have on a long, arduous, difficult, but exciting journey. Someone like that, isn't it? But I wonder if, because that was Barnabas's, they called him that as a nickname, I wonder if we have nicknames. Here's some nicknames you might know about. Sneezy, Sleepy, Bashful, Happy, Duck, Dopey, and Grumpy. Now, I bet... Mr. Walt Disney didn't think of their real names 
These were just their nicknames. And they had those nicknames because that's the way they acted. <sighs> or, you can see who I am, Mr. Sleepy or Mr. Grumpy, because that's how they acted. I wonder, have you got or have you had a nickname? You don't need to tell me. Just have a think about it. Just rhetorical at the moment. Because sometimes people might call you a nickname, but not to your face. Sometimes when you're at school, probably they did, because they don't have the social graces, do they? They'll just say, hey, you, whatever. But when you get older, you kind of think about someone, or maybe you think about a prominent character trait that someone's got, and you just think, think of a name. Think of something that goes with them. Now, we might, because we're Christians, think of ourselves as having a lovely label, a lovely name to go with our sort of Christian name. For instance, you might sort of think, Colin the Christian, John the Jesus disciple, Angela the angel, Paul the pious God follower, and St. John the saint. So you might sort of think of things like that, knowing that they're the labels you've given yourself. Or you might have some other labels, a bit like these. You might sort of think, Alan, the faithful. Margaret, the engager. Hyungjin, the positive. Phyllis, the carer. Jill, the keep-goinger. <laughs> Alma, the determined. And Jean, or Jean, the resourceful. So those might be the sort of traits, the character that people look at and they look at you and they say, well, you're not Barnabas, who is an encourager, but you keep going, or you are determined, or you are positive, and people see those things in you, which is pretty marvellous, isn't it? There's some of the character traits that maybe you don't have, or maybe you used to have, but you know other people that have got these character traits. Someone the ignorant. Someone the liar. The, the it's all about me the manipulator, the couldn't-care-less-and-shows-it person, the adulterer, the disruptive. If any of those sort of traits are sort of character things that we show, they're pretty bad, aren't they? Then we know that's not such a good thing. We're God's ambassadors. So when we might have a bit of those traits or some others, then God's name, God's glory is diminished because of the way we're acting. There's this couple of verses in the Bible, which you'll probably know really well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I think it would be brilliant if all of us had character traits, we were called the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control... Against such things there is no law. Now, I've put it on the screen there in the New, New International Version, the NIV, but at the end of my notes online, I put another 11 versions, which you can just have a look at and ponder and just think, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if my life is like that. I wonder what that is like. So that's something that's brilliant, that we could say, God, help me to have the character of having the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. So when people do come across me, they say, 
wow, that's a positive person, someone who's knowing God and someone who's uh, faithful and peaceful and kind. That would be really good. Let's just think about a little bit about the history of Joseph from Cyprus or Barnabas. By the way, if we're going to talk about him before the Acts of the Apostles, I'll call him Joseph, in brackets, Barnabas. But if we're talking about him from Acts, I'll call him Barnabas, just so you can see where we're up to. Now, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he stood under the really important rabbi called Gamaliel. And uh, he said about that in Acts 22, verse 3. And you might have read Acts 5, where Gamaliel gives some really wise words about what's happening to the disciples. You can read those at home. And many scholars think that Joseph the Levite, a.k.a. Barnabas, stood under Gamaliel as well. So in other words, people think, the ones that have investigated further, think they have known each other for years and years. Since they were lads, young chaps, maybe 12 or 13, 14, when they went to Jerusalem and uh, studied under Gamaliel. Now, the thing was, people know, and we know, that Barnabas, or Joseph if you want to call him that, wasn't one of the 12 disciples. I'm not going to test you on who those are, because I know you know already, but some of them are really easy, some of them are a bit harder to remember. But we know that Barnabas, or Joseph, wasn't one of the 12 disciples. But lots of scholars think that he was one of the 72, or the 70, that was uh, talked about by Luke in his 10th chapter, when Jesus sent out lots of disciples, two by two. Lots of people think that Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, was one of those disciples that was sent out. So, Joseph, Barnabas, really knew Jesus face to face. It wasn't just like we know Jesus, but he knew him as a physical person. He knew him perhaps doing the miracles. He knew him listening to him, teaching. And the important thing is, I think, when when, uh, Barnabas heard that Saul, or Paul, was doing all this bad stuff with the church. He set about praying. At least that's what I imagine he did. Because he knew Jesus face to face and would have talked to him face to face, just like I can talk to any of you. But since Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, Barnabas, Joseph, still talked to Jesus, but this time instead of face to face physically, it was just through prayer. But how brilliant is that? That Barnabas knew Jesus and so he could carry on praying and knowing and and talking to Jesus. So when it happened that Saul became Paul and was transformed on the road to Damascus, we know from reading Acts that the disciples were really scared. They just thought, no way could that happen. We've seen all these other big things happen, but how can Paul, or Saul as they'd call him then, become a Christian? He's been persecuting us, people being put in prison, being flogged, being hurt, being just taken away from their families. But Barnabas wasn't wearing rose-tinted spectacles when he came and said, here we go, we know he's going to be, he is a Christian, because it was really dangerous. But he was listening to God. This is what it says in Acts 9, verses 26, 27, 28.
when he came to Jerusalem, this is Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Can you imagine it? Maybe Saul was calling their bluff. He was out to get as many Christians killed or into prison at the same time. Maybe Paul really hadn't become a Christian. And so Barnabas was encouraging Paul to come to the disciples, the apostles and the church. And what was he going to do? If Paul hadn't changed and hadn't become a Christian, maybe he's got a sort of a small contingent of soldiers to say, yes, this is the one. These are the ones that are Christians. Maybe there was a scheme, a plan that Paul had done. We know that's not true. We know that Saul really did become a Christian. But Barnabas didn't know that. All the other disciples were really fearful and saying, oh, let's keep him at arm's length, we don't know. But Barnabas said, yeah, come on, come, mate. I know you, you've changed, I believe. So God was saying something to him that maybe the others weren't listening to. And perhaps that's the same with other Christians and other believers over the years. One example is Isaiah. And I've got a verse from Isaiah, chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. It says... Don't fear what they fear or dread what they dread. After all, only the eternal commander of heavenly armies should terrify you. Only God is holy. Only God should leave you trembling. Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13, and that's from the voice. So only God should leave you trembling. We shouldn't be fearful of other people. Easier said than done sometimes, but that's what God is encouraging us to do. But it wasn't just that. Well, let's just stick with that point first, just for a moment, about Acts and the disciples saying, Saul surely can't be a disciple. And you can hear Barnabas saying, he certainly can be. With God, nothing is impossible. All what it would have been like if Barnabas hadn't encouraged Paul to come to the church and to meet all the other people and to believe in him. We think that Paul wrote about 13 books of the New Testament So if Barnabas hadn't been in the encourager and the person that brought them to the church, would we have had those 13 books? Probably not, would we? Or at least they'd have been different. Or maybe God would have got someone else to come along and teach and lead the church at the time. But how encouraging for us that we've got so much of Paul's writing because Barnabas listened to God, he had the nerve to follow God and say, even though things seem difficult... I really believe what God is saying is let's accept Paul and let's bring him into the church because God has changed him. How amazing. That's so good. But it doesn't stop there because Barnabas, as I've been reading about in the last few weeks, is not just an encourager to the disciples and everyone at Bible times, but he's really encouraged me. And hopefully he's going to encourage you as well today. You'll just look at him and think, yeah, I want to be a bit more like him. He's great. What about in Acts 11, 19 to 24? Now, the church is growing. And so there's a bit of persecution going on. And so the church that was in Jerusalem has been spread a little bit. 
And a lot of people, a lot of Christians, the followers of the way, as they call themselves, have gone to Antioch, which was a really big city. I think it had about 500,000 people in the city at that time. So that's a big city. There's a lot of places that people went to from there. But the Christians that were becoming, the people that were becoming Christians there were uncircumcised. They weren't Jews. And so that was a problem to the many Jews who were already Christians because a lot of them were thinking, surely the males need to be circumcised to come to church and to be part of it. And so what they did in Jerusalem was sent Barnabas to Antioch and to find out what was going on. And what was going on was people really were becoming Christians. People were getting saved, people were getting born again, but they weren't circumcised. And Barnabas recommended that it didn't matter. We'll hear more about that in a few minutes. But he was sort of encouraging them, saying, yes, come to faith, come to know God, because that's the way it should be. So as the leaders in Jerusalem might say, can the people, the Greeks in Antioch, become Christians? Can they become disciples? Barnabas, just like uh, when he said to Paul, they said they certainly can. With God, nothing is impossible. So he went to Antioch, and something marvellous was happening, something brilliant. There was a revival going on, in a way. And so he knew that he couldn't lead the church on his own. He didn't have the, sort of the ability or the time, like Moses last week, couldn't, didn't have the time to look after all of Israel. And so what happened? Barnabas knew one person in particular that could help him, and that was Paul. So Paul was in Tarsus. He was just sort of finding God and learning about God. We sort of know about that. But what Barnabas did, he went 150 miles from Antioch round to Tarsus. And then he went 150 miles back with Paul because he went. He didn't send a messenger to Paul and say, I'm a bit busy, but I think God would want you to come and help me. He went. So how many days would it take, I don't know, 150 miles in biblical times? A week or so? I don't know. I'm just guessing. But it would take a while, wouldn't it? And then you've got, oh, you'd be tired from the journey, but you're, you're going to someone who's important and you're just trying to encourage them. And you, then you bring them back because they've said, yes, I'll go and help with Antioch. And he comes back. And together for about a year, they do something really good. And the church continues to grow. I wonder what Barnabas thought. Remember, Barnabas had known Paul or Saul for many years. He knew that Saul had a good mind. He was a good thinker. He knew the, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures very well. Did he worry, I wonder, that if he called Paul to come and help in Antioch, that his role would be diminished? Did he wonder if Paul would eclipse him? Maybe he was fearful of that. But more than that... He was fearful of God, just like we said about Isaiah. Isaiah said, let God be the person who makes you tremble. And so Barnabas had the same thoughts. I'm not bothered about myself, Barnabas was saying. I want the church to grow. I want people in Antioch to have a good knowledge of what God is saying. And so he went to get Paul, irrespective of whether Paul was going to be the big man in the end or Barnabas was going to be the big big man in the end. And so they went on a journey together. 
this is the first journey. Now, of course, we've said about Tarsus, 150 miles away. So there's Antioch, just going round the corner of the Med there. You can see Tarsus just at the top as well. So it doesn't look too far, but like I say, 150 miles or so, that's how Barnabas had to go and get Paul and then bring him back to Antioch. They went on a journey, and this is the first missionary journey that Paul went. And it's Acts 13 and 14 that tells us about this. And uh, just as you read the beginning of chapter 13, in verse 2 and 3, this is so important because it says, while they were worshipping the Lord, this is a collection of Christians, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they were called together on this missionary journey for a time of worship, for a time of fasting, maybe several days and a time of prayer. When they were saying, God, how can we make your church dynamic and wonderful? How can we spread your name abroad? It's questions we're asking ourselves over the next few weeks as well. What can we do as a church? And, they, and the church in Antioch fasted, they prayed, they worshipped. And they got the answer to send Barnabas and Paul off together. And when they went on that journey, if you read in chapter 13 and 14, you'll see there was lots of preaching and teaching, some persecution, a big dose of prayer and miracles and supernatural events. And then once the uh, missionary journey was over, they went back to Antioch and they sort of talked about uh, to the congregation there and the people there, all the things that God had done. I bet that was a really good, encouraging time, weren't it? Just to hear two men of God that were really sold out for him and they come back and you've been praying and worshipping and helping them as they've been gone for maybe a year or two and they come back and then you hear all about what they've done. Just like with YWAM, when you're on a school at the moment, it's great, but when you go back to the sending church that you know and love, when they hear about it, they'll say, whoa, God did that through you. And they'll be so full of joy that how you've grown in God and love God more and done things for him. They'll just be patting you on the back and saying, great, keep at it, won't they? So Paul went on this journey with Barnabas. If you read chapters 13 and 14, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, starts by calling them Barnabas and Saul. But by the end of the journey, he calls them Paul and Barnabas. Very interesting. I like things like that. That gets me puzzling. And why did Luke write it like that? He starts with Barnabas as the first person, and then he ends the journey recalling uh, Paul as the first person. So it was a long journey. It was arduous. It was dangerous. And of course, we know that they went to Cyprus first, because that was where Joseph from Cyprus, who became Barnabas, was born. So he knew the country really well. So when God called them to go somewhere, that was the first place because it was just like the place that Barnabas knew very well. But after this first journey, even though they both made journeys missionary-wise together afterwards, they didn't go together anywhere. The Bible says, this is Luke writing, that there was a sharp clash of opinion or tempers flared There was a huge row. That's what different versions call it. Strong disagreement is what the NIV says. But I'm not going to tell you anything about that because in a few weeks' time, on the 25th of February, John is going to speak about John Mark. And it might be that 
he talks about that. So I'm not going to say anything about it now, but we've got that to look forward to. You know, I'm really excited about reading the Bible. And sometimes on a Sunday, I can write pages of notes just because it's so exciting. I just think, wow, this is what the Bible's about. I can't wait to share with this everyone. But then I look at the clock and I think, oh, I've got five pages to go and five minutes left. And the thing is, sometimes you just think, oh, well, it doesn't matter because it's online and people can read it there anyway. And sometimes you think, oh, but last week I really wanted to say so-and-so. So last week... I really wanted to say this. You know what I mean? It's, you just look at it now and you think, I wish he'd said that last week because then he wouldn't be saying it this week. But no, <laughs> I wish he'd said it last week because it's so encouraging. Encombo sese. You might sort of think, what? So if we were reading it last week, 1 Peter 5 5 says, All of you clothe yourselves, that's the word with humility towards one another. This word, this Greek word, means to put on oneself as a garment. Now, we were talking about humility a little bit last week, and what Peter was saying is, don't just put a a sort of a, a slip on the front of you just to protect you from things. Put on a servant's apron. Make it really secure. Tuck it in. Keep it secure. So when Paul, uh, Peter rather, was talking about putting on the overall of humility, as Phillips calls it, in serving one another, he wasn't saying, just put on humility and let it slip off every so, every so often. He was saying, secure your clothing of humility. Make it so that when you are humble, you stay humble, even in difficult situations. And I want to suggest that God is saying to us now, don't just be humble, be encouragers. Put it on firmly. There's that word. Put on as a servant would put on an apron so he could do difficult tasks and really secure. Put it on. Put the encouragement apron on. Because God is calling us all to be encouragers. Encouragement. Why? When? Where? How? Who? I'll give you some ideas. Why? Because it's good for others and it's good for you as well. If I smile at Colin, what's he going to do? If I smile at a stranger, they might sort of think, weirdo or something like that, (laughs) mightn't they? But they might sort of think, oh, if you kind of just say something as well, they might sort of think, oh, that was nice. Or if you sort of, so that's good for others. Maybe you just sort of see someone in the street sweeping up. It's like, oh, thanks for doing that. Or whatever, you know, just being nice to strangers as well as nice to Christians. It's good for you. Don't you feel better if you're nice to people? If you're grumbling, can't, can't stand that person. How does that make you feel? Pretty as well, doesn't it? So if you're encouraging, if you're encouraging and you really enjoy life and you're good with people, then definitely you feel better about it. When? Anytime you're awake. Where? Anywhere you go. Pretty easy, isn't it? Uh, body language. So that doesn't mean that if Jean's talking to me, I sort of, oh, well, sorry. I don't really come into his personal space because that wouldn't be very nice, would it? But I can really give my contact and think, yeah. And maybe he talked to me about something last week 
and I just bring it up again because I've been praying about it during the week. So just showing concern for someone. Whereas if you're, if Jean or if Jill's talking to me, and I'm looking around, looking at my watch, that's not encouraging, is it? Our body language says a lot. And we can use 20th century technology. Who loves receiving a birthday card? Who loves receiving a card through the post? Wow, it's so a handwritten envelope. Isn't that nice? We can use 20th century technology to help us. We can use 21st century technology. Yay, yeah. So we can text someone. How easy is it to text someone? If you, they know, if you know they've got a hard day coming and you just text five or six words, bingo. They're encouraged and you're encouraged as well because they might send something back. I'll say, oh, thanks so much for texting. Fantastic. Uh, who? Those you don't know, those you do know. Pretty, self, pretty uh, self-explanatory. Now, I'm a piano teacher, if you didn't know, and what I've got to do is communicate encouragement. So it's not just keep it to myself. I can be an encouraging person, but unless I communicate the encouragement to someone else, I'm not really an encouraging person, am I? You can't... Just really say you're, a commu- say you're an encourager and then people aren't encouraged. So we want to cultivate the idea where we uh, encourage other people. And as a piano teacher, I could listen to someone and it could maybe, because I never do this, but I could sort of think, and I could tell them, that's 21 mistakes you made then. When are you going to learn? Because that wouldn't be a way to do it, would it? I I don't do that. You just listen to something that's really good, and there might be some things they need to change. Definitely there are, in their technique or the way that they play or whatever. But you're going for the encouragement, and you're trying to help them. Because I know that if I'm sort of... People say nasty things to me again and again, sooner or later I'll just switch off. And I don't really accept the things they're saying to me. But if people encourage me truthfully, then... I'm really open to what they have to say, and that's good. So you can't be an encourager and keep it to yourself. Now, you might laugh at the next slide, but I've seen some people that take photos of themselves in mirrors. (laughs) I'm not going to put it on Facebook. But what I want you to do is to think about it, because when you wake up in the morning, this was me yesterday in the bathroom, I want you to think to yourself, in the morning... I'm just going to look in the mirror and say how God loves me. You can encourage yourself. In fact, I'm going to move it on. There we are. That's better, isn't it? I'm going to move it on because if God sort of says something to you and you wake up and you sort of say, yes, I'm going to be an encourager to myself today, then that's going to be a good thing as well because we don't want to just encourage other people. Sometimes we need to encourage ourselves as well. Last quick point. We're looking at being heroes. And so what we want to do is remember that Christians aren't the only positive and pleasant people. I know lots of people that aren't Christians that I like being with because they're encouraging. And that gives me a lesson. Because, yeah, I might be encouraging most of the time, but if non-Christians can encourage me, I certainly need to be able to encourage other people as well. I certainly need to encourage other people, whether it's at church or just a stranger. I want to be a better encourager than I am. Last week, I read this out. This is perhaps my verse for the year. 
So I'm just going to read it out again before I conclude. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. And it says, And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very centre and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. So that's from the Amplified Bible, Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. Our words can make a lasting impression on people. This week, a former pupil waved to me as I was driving down Henkey Road. And I thought, she waved to me. And I have seen her for about seven or eight years. And it made my day. Because someone I'd known for a while and I invested my life in, they, all she did was that. Didn't take any effort from her. But she saw me and just waved. And I, I waved back. And inside, I was really excited because I thought, oh, she's encouraged me there just by a wave, just by a smile, just by an acknowledgement. And maybe God is saying to us this week, be an encourager. Make the effort. Because you'll feel good for it, but definitely God will be glorified and he will be praised. So, shall we pray? And then we're going to respond together and just see how God leads us this week. It's going to be exciting when we come together next week. We can say, oh, I've had a real uh, brilliant week of encouraging people. And your sort of people that live with you will say, yes, they have. They've been really encouraging this week. But anyway, let's just pray about that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that you are the great encourager. Lord, when we feel down or alone, you are with us and you tell us so. Lord, as we go about our days this week, Lord, help us to be encouragers, just like Barnabas was, when he had to risk his life almost sometimes to encourage others. Lord, help us to take that step of faith and listen to you, to be encouragers and to be helpers. Lord, thank you that the journey we go on isn't on our own, but we are all together as a family. So Lord, will you help us to encourage each other when times are good, when times are bad, but help us to encourage people that aren't yet Christians too. Encourage them to know you, but encourage them by the way we act and by the way we speak. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.